Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Ephesians 6, last two weeks, we've been looking at how to live a life worthy of our calling within the context of the household, those three primary relationships, husband, wife, parent, child, and employer, employee. This last instructive section of Ephesians is actually on spiritual warfare, the ongoing conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, kingdom of Satan. And it can feel like a hard right turn. I don't think it is. I think it flows naturally out of what Paul has written before. Uh, So we're going to look at that today uh, just by way of disclaimer. We're just going to skim the surface. I hope you're in a small group and you can dive deeper into these things uh, this week. But I'm just going to bring some things up. Uh, that hopefully will give you some food for thought, some things you can chew on moving forward. So Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything else, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So two words for us that are going to put the parameters around what we're going to talk about in terms of spiritual warfare. There's some other uh, bits and pieces throughout the, both the Old and the New Testament where you can paint a, a bit of a, a fuller and clearer picture on all that spiritual warfare is. In Ephesians 6... I think Paul is talking very specifically um, about one element of spiritual warfare, and it's actually the one that I think that we encounter most often. So the two words for us set the parameters, finally and stand. So finally is the first word in verse 10. Finally connects what follows with what went before. This is not a random paragraph pasted on the end, to, on the end of a letter that's otherwise coherent and cohesive. Uh, to me, Paul, this is a pastoral impulse and response from Paul. He's, as someone who's, who's been walking with the Lord longer than the, the congregations he's addressing, someone who's more mature in the Lord, someone who's seen more than they've seen, I think what he's saying to them is, I'm going to leave you with something here. It's a word of warning and a word of encouragement. There, there is a battle. There's a battle. You have an enemy, and you need to, you need to be prepared for that. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. Uh, Paul paints this picture for us, what the, the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. And the umbrella that we're going to use is this phrase, uh, we've been seated with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. We've been seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. That means we are too. We're in Christ, so where he is, we are. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and that means we are as well. So when we think about spiritual warfare in the context of Ephesians, I think that, that's the key idea. I think what the enemy's trying to do is he's trying to to get us to live in any way other than out of the reality that we're seated at the right hand of the Father. He wants you to believe anything else other than that. 
Starting in chapter 4, verse 1, we're told how to live a life worthy of this calling. We're told to take off our old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. We're told to, to put on our new self, which is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We're told uh, to follow the example of God. We're told to walk in the way of love. We're given really specific commands. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Quit stealing and start working. Don't speak falsely to one another. We looked in the last couple of weeks, children, honor your parents. Parents, don't exasperate your kids. All of these really nitty gritty, what do I do on Tuesday kind of instructions. It's living a life worthy of the calling that we've received in chapters one, two, and three. One, two, and three. Here's this wonderful, these wonderful truths, theological truths. Here's what God has done for you, but honestly, it can feel a bit esoteric at times. Starting chapter four, verse one, here's what it looks like on the ground to respond faithfully to that. Spiritual warfare in Ephesians to get you to believe anything other than the truth of chapters 1, 2, and 3 and to get you to live in any way other than the, the life worthy of your calling. Spell that in, in uh, chapters 4 and 5 in the first half of chapter 6. So that word finally is really important to us. Second, stand. When we hear warfare, many of us think aggressive taking ground, advancing uh, in cities. And, and there's some truth to that. Again, you can look in Daniel 10 and you can see uh, where, where there is some validity to that understanding of spiritual warfare. In Daniel 10, we read about the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece, these spiritual beings that have influence over an entire nation. That's not what Paul's talking about in chapter 6. What he says to us four times is just stand there. Don't walk forward. Don't advance. You don't have to be aggressive. Just stand there. When you've done everything else, just stand. Stand firm. Just to be clear, stand four times in 10 verses. That's what he says. Maintain your ground. Maintain the position that you have, I think, in Jesus. You've been seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms. You're seated right now at the right hand of the Father. Just don't move. There's nowhere else to go. You're, at the, you're in the best seat in the universe. There's nowhere else to go. It's all already been won. So what I hear Paul saying to the Ephesians is, just stay. Maintain the ground that Jesus has already won for you. A couple of things to keep in mind. This is a real spiritual battle that we're in. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so we can stand against the schemes of the enemy. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against these rulers and these powers and these authorities in the dark world and these spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Like, it is a real battle. It's a spiritual battle. We're given spiritual armor, spiritual equipment to fight this spiritual battle. But, but, but it's, again, in Ephesians 6, it's important for us to remember where you're seated next, next to the Father with Jesus, the enemy is not strong enough to move you out of that chair. He doesn't have the power to, to physically or to forcibly remove you. He can't make you move. It would be like if a two-year-old came up here and tried to push me. I'm not going anywhere. I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I'm heavier. I'm not, it doesn't matter how hard they push. The enemy, he can't forcibly move us off the ground that Jesus has already won. If you like relational terminology better, Jesus says no one can snatch us from his hand. Romans 8 says nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Not angels or demons or powers. 
No, nothing at height or depth, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Your position in Jesus is secure, and the enemy is not strong enough to move you from that position. He's not strong enough to break the grip that Jesus has on your hand. All he has left is to tempt us, to trick us, to pressure us, to fool us into moving off the ground that Jesus has already won. That's all he can do. He can't make us go anywhere. All he can do is tempt us to move off the ground that Jesus has already won. That's it. And that's why Paul says, just stay there. Just stand. The victory's already won. You're already in the best seat in the universe. Just maintain your position. The enemy can't do anything about it. Not one thing. All he can do is tempt you or trick you to get up out of your seat, seated next to the right hand of the Father, and start walking away. That's all he can do. So stand. Finally, stand. Again, we're in a real spiritual battle. It's not a battle of equals. This is not Star Wars. There's not a good and and an evil side of the force, and we don't really know who's going to win. These are all created beings. We, the, in, the devil is our chief enemy. The, the easiest way for me to understand it is he has an army. Whatever a power is, whatever a ruler is, whatever an authority is, whatever a spiritual uh, force is, we don't know. I would see them as uh, ranks in an army. They're lieutenants and sergeants and colonels and generals. And we, again, we don't know exactly. That's probably the best analogy that we have. Satan's organized all of these other fallen spiritual beings. And they're working for him. It's important for us to remember all of them are created though. Colossians 1. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. This is not a battle of equals. This is an omnipotent, sovereign, creating God squashing a rebellion from some of his creatures. Colossians 2. Jesus has already disarmed them. He did that already. They've already been disarmed, the rulers and the powers. He's already made a public spectacle of them on the cross. They're not fully defeated, but they have been, or excuse me, they're not fully destroyed, but they have been disarmed. The the ultimate outcome of the battle is not in question. Read Revelation 19, 20, 21, and 22. It's a done deal. Jesus is going to, to, to triumph fully and finally at his return. Again, the battle is real. The spiritual forces are wicked. They do have some level of power. They do have some level of influence. They are not even close to co-equal with God. It is not an equal fight. God is not losing any sleep over them. And you don't need to either. Colossians, excuse me, Ephesians 1. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened, would be enlightened, so that you would know the incomparably great power that's available to you. That power is the same as the mighty strength the Father exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead. That idea, greater is the one who's in us than the one who's in the world. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives within you. The power that disarmed these powers and authorities. The power that made a public spectacle of them. It's in you. You don't have anything to worry about. Yes, there are malevolent spiritual forces. And they have some power. And they have some influence. And they can't move. They can't move you an inch. Not an inch. 
You are secure in Christ at the right hand of the Father. And there's nothing he can do about it. Not a thing. No stress and no worries. We are in a battle. It's a battle where the, the, the victory is assured. The schemes of the enemy. Three primaries that I see. Lies, accusations, and temptations. Lies, he's the father of lies. Jesus says when the devil talks, he lies. It's his native language. Accusations, the word devil means slanderer. That's what he does. He lies about God. He lies about life. He lies about other people. He lies about you. And then he accuses. He slanders God. He slanders you. He slanders other people. And he tempts. He's the tempter. He lures us into sinful behavior. That's what he's got. Those are the tricks. Lies and accusations and temptations. What about the direct kind of frontal assault? Sickness and suffering and pain and wickedness and violence and and evil. What about those things? He messes everything up. Sure, he can do that. He's got some level of power and influence. Those things to me, it's tricky. What's the result of living in a fallen world? What's the result of sinful choices that have awful consequences, either our own or the choices of others? What's the devil? I don't know that we ever really get a, a, a firm handle on why. That's why people are still asking why do bad things happen to good people? Because we don't know. Like suffering is a reality that we live with. And we don't, we, it's hard to unpeel all of that to figure out what the reasons are. What I would say to you, I think this is, is true biblically, ultimately what the enemy wants to do is he wants to get you to move. He wants you to move off of your position in Jesus. Sure, he, he doesn't like you, so he would rather you suffer than thrive. He doesn't like you, so he would rather you be miserable than happy. But ultimately, if you're miserable... And seated next to the right hand of the Father, you still won and he still lost. If you're suffering and your suffering is drawing you towards Jesus and not causing you to grow hardened towards him, you've still won and he's still lost. Ultimately, what he wants is for you to get up out of your seat, seated next to the right hand of the Father, and to move away. I'm not necessarily talking about your ultimate salvation. I'm talking about Wednesday. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying, he can't separate you from the love of God and Jesus. So he's saying, well, would you? Would you be willing to do that? Here's a lie. Here's an accusation. Here's a temptation. So I think suffering is real, and I don't want to belittle those of you that are suffering today. What I would say is see that in in a broader perspective. Is it drawing you to? Is it pushing you away from Jesus? Ask the Lord, use this to make me more like Jesus, and fix it. Pray both of those things. Use it and fix it. It doesn't necessarily matter what the source is. I don't think those direct frontal assaults are very effective for very long against very many people. They aren't. Because for most of us, they tend to push us towards and not drive us away. And so I would encourage you around that, again, if you're suffering, not to be little, but just to recognize that's, that's not the primary way the enemy comes after us. So God has given us this armor. This will help you stand. 
This will help you maintain your position. And, it's, and it works with these schemes. It, it, it's, it, it's a great defense against the, the lies and the accusations and the temptations. Here's, it's the armor that a Roman soldier wore when Paul wrote Ephesians. He was chained to a Roman soldier, so there was his inspiration right there. He's looking at that guy and saying, all right, here's an image for me. Belt of truth. Truth, you can take two ways. I think they're both uh, legitimate. Truth, that's true doctrine. The enemy's a father of lies. So if we know the truth, it helps us to recognize the lies that he tells us, particularly about God. Truth in terms of sincerity or integrity. We want to live truthfully. Many of us are tempted. I would say we're all tempted to live hypocritically, to put on a mask, to live deceitfully in order to maybe impress other people. Breastplate of righteousness. Again, righteousness you can take in two ways. One, I would say doctrinally that we have been made right with God. We've been declared in the right by the Father because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's what we, the theological word for that is justification. God has declared us not guilty. That's important. The enemy, again, he's an accuser. He wants to accuse us. We're, you're still under condemnation. You haven't been forgiven. You're still guilty. And then you also think of righteousness in terms of right behavior. The enemy wants to tempt us to sinful behavior. Shed, uh, the shoes of the gospel of peace, that's not the gospel of a calm and a tranquil heart. That's the gospel of reconciliation with the Father. That we have been brought near, that we've been adopted. That's the ground on which we stand. You want to stand firm. That's the foundation for us. And so we've been reconciled to the Father. And again, the enemy, he wants to convince us that that's not true. He wants to convince us again that we're still condemned. He wants to convince us that we haven't been forgiven. He wants to convince us we got to work harder. we got to clean ourselves up more. Not that we've already been reconciled. Three more pieces of armor. This helmet of salvation, we've been rescued. Again, that's the truth. We've been rescued from sin, from Satan, from death, from the wrath of God. The enemy wants to lie to us. He wants to say, no, you're still enslaved. You're still enchained. The fact that you're still tempted in these ways, that means you haven't really been set free, that Jesus is not that powerful in your life after all. You're never going to be free from this sin or from that fear or from that attitude. Those things are lies. The shield of faith, it's a rectangular shield. It's four feet long and two and a half feet wide. Military tactic at the time, take an arrow, dip it in pitch, set it on fire and shoot it. At your enemy, it keeps you safe because it's a long way away. It can hurt them and it can scare them too. Stuff starts getting, getting uh, burning. It's, it's scary. And so these big shields, they were designed not just to catch and stop the arrows, but to extinguish them. Faith, trust, that's what faith is. Think about that. These darts of the enemy, again, those are his schemes. All the way back to the garden, Adam and Eve, did God really say? Well, that's not true. He just doesn't want you to really live up to your full potential. If you eat from that tree, it just means you're going to be like him. It's not going to be bad at all. Can you really trust him? He wants us to doubt God. Doubt that God cares. Not necessarily that God is able. We all believe that, but that God is willing. Doubt God's superintendence and supervision in our life. Trust, faith, how important is that, especially when all the circumstances in your life say there's no reason to trust. Sword of the Spirit, it's the word of God. I think to me the, the best picture of the types of temptation or the, the, the type of spiritual warfare that most of us are going to encounter for most of our lives is Jesus in the wilderness, Matthew 4 and Luke 4. 
Again, there is this more aggressive kind of taken cities type spiritual warfare that you may be familiar with, particularly if you come from a charismatic background. I'm not discounting that. I just think where most of us live most of the time. It's Ephesians 6, it's Matthew 4, it's Luke 4. Jesus coming off this high moment at his baptism. This is my son whom I love with him. I'm well pleased. Side note, that's why you just wrote things for Noah on a card. We believe at baptism, the father speaks identity and affirmation over his kids. So that's why we do that. And so Jesus has this word of affirmation spoken over him. Again, a mountaintop type experience. He hears from He hears from heaven, and then he's led into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. He doesn't eat for 40 days, and the enemy's harassing him. And we know three of the temptations. One of them, turn these stones into bread. Meet your own need. You're the son of God, right? If that's true, then you can do this. you got to be hungry. You haven't eaten for a month. Meet your own needs. Temptation for all of us. Takes him to a point, the temple, probably he's just seeing that. In Jerusalem, he jump down off of this high point. You'll draw a crowd. It'll be spectacular. We'll get your name out there. It's going to be great PR. Is there a better way to start your ministry? Do that. And you're not going to get hurt. The Bible, it says that the Father won't allow you to, uh, hurt you, to, 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 to strike your foot against a stone. That he'll, he'll give his angels charge concerning you. You don't have anything to worry about. All upside. Third, all this stuff is mine. Everything you can see, I'll give it to you. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. That second temptation, the temptation to be spectacular, to manipulate that third temptation, is the temptation to take shortcuts, to do things our way instead of God's way. How does Jesus answer every one of them? A quote from Deuteronomy, the sword of the Spirit. It's written, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I'm going to trust him to meet my needs. I'm not going to do it on my own. It's also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. I don't have to, this isn't a prove it scenario. I know who I am. I'm not going to try to manipulate other people to believe who I am. It's also written, worship the Lord and serve him only. His way over your way. His way over your way. I'm not, no shortcuts. I trust him. Great book. Screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis. I think to me it's the clearest picture of the spiritual warfare that most of us encounter on a daily basis. We have a few copies out there. If you want to check one out, you can order it, um, pick it up at a bookstore. He's smart. You've got to read it slow, but it's good. And again, it's brilliant to me, unpacking of the way the enemy tends to accuse and to lie and to tempt us, to move off the ground that Jesus has already won for us. So what do we do? What's our response? Really quickly, one, I would say know your vulnerabilities. More important than knowing the schemes of the enemy is knowing yourself. If you know where you're weak and vulnerable, then you can maybe do some things to shore that up and to recognize that's probably where the enemy is going to attack. So think through the grid of those three temptations of Jesus. Where are you tempted to meet your own needs? Where are you tempted? Uh, we, We all have a need for security. Are you piling up a big old stack of money? And so you don't have to trust the Lord. You've got a rainy day fund and then another rainy day and a hurricane fund. Like you got it all. No matter what the weather is, you're, you're covered. What about acceptance, a need we all have, community, a need we all have? Are you tempted? 
to be a hypocrite, to put on a mask, to be a chameleon, to lower your standards, to change who you are in order to be liked or in order to be loved. Where are you tempted to meet your own needs? Where are you tempted to manipulate others? It's going to be in an area of competence, most likely. I get 30 minutes or whatever to listen to people. Apparently Noah says that, if you're lo- that maybe listening to me is not the easiest thing to do in the world, but you at least pretend to listen to me. And so I can be tempted to manipulate that. I know the Bible pretty well. I went to school for it. I get, uh, have a, an, a, a captive group of people. And I can say, well, I know what's actually really good for y'all. So even if you're not, if I can't just talk to you straight and let me figure out how to get you to do what I want you to do, and that's ultimately what God wants you to do, very tricky. What about for you? Where are you tempted to manipulate other people? What areas of competence might you lean on to get other people to do what you want them to do? And then especially if what you want them to do is a good thing or something that you think is the right thing. Parents. We fall into that trap all the time. Where are you tempted to take a shortcut? Where are you tempted to go your own way versus God's way? God's way, a lot of times, the the timing is usually not what we want. He's slower than we want him to be. He's less clear than we want him to be. There's more twists and turns than we want. And a lot of times, it's just not not efficient. And we can see what we think is a straighter shot. Where are you tempted to meet your own needs? And then I would say even underneath that, when are you most vulnerable? Do you know the circumstances? We're physical beings and our physical circumstances and our physical state affects our spiritual life. We don't believe that a lot of times. We separate the two. We're a unity. What's happening with our bodies affects our hearts and our spirits. Talk to somebody who knows you and loves you and say, how am I when I'm hungry? When I'm tired, they will tell you. Are, we're, most of us are more, are more vulnerable to temptation then. When we're hungry, when we're tired, when we're alone. For some people, after a big win because, hey, I deserve this, I earn this. For some, it's after a big disappointment. I want to comfort myself. When are you most prone? And that's really around those sinful behaviors. Do you know those things about yourself? Where's the enemy going to tempt you? What lies is he going to tell you? What accusations about God is he going to make towards you? Know yourself. Second, put on the armor. Some of you do this. Like you literally, before you leave in the morning, you say, God, I'm putting on the, and some of you like do the motions. I'm putting on the belt of truth. Putting on the helmet of salvation. Putting on the boots of peace. That's great. Whatever, there's something to that process. You're reminding yourself of the resources that God has given you. I don't know another way of doing it. You don't have to go through the motions, but I don't know another way of doing it other than saying it. God, this is what I'm doing. Thank you for these resources that you've made available to me, and I'm going to avail myself of them today. I want to recognize that I'm weak, that I'm vulnerable. Lead me not into temptation, and thank you for giving me these resources to help me guard myself against the enemy. Against his lies, his accusations, and his temptations. I want to acknowledge I'm seated at at your right hand and I don't want to move. I don't want to move. I want to live from that place today. And then last, pray. That is an 
an, an aggressive or an offensive thing that we can do. Prayer, inviting God to get involved. Why do I have to pray? God knows what's going on. Of course he knows what's going on. We don't pray to tell God things he doesn't know. We pray to get God involved in situations. Some people call this little closing section of Ephesians 6 all prayer because there's four alls. Pray for all people at all times, in all ways, and under every circumstance. Do that. Invite God to get involved under the direction, the leadership, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Pray for everybody. Pray for everything. Pray in all ways and at all times. You're inviting God to get involved. And that's a primary way that we do, that God uses us to advance his kingdom. That is a primary way where the kingdom of darkness is exposed, that it's destroyed, that it's pushed back. It's through your prayers. So what do you do? Know your own vulnerabilities. Put on the armor. Make, make uh, th- those resources. We have to put them on. Otherwise, they don't do us any good. God's given them to us, but if we don't assimilate those things into our life, they're not doing us any good. So pray that prayer. And I would say over time, maybe dig a little deeper. What is truth? What's righteousness? What is the gospel of peace? What does that mean? Faith. How exactly does that operate in my life? Grow in, the, in your understanding of those areas. It'll help you. And then pray. How do I pray? You pray under the leadership, the direction, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What do I pray for? Everything. Who do I pray for? Everyone. When do I pray? All the time. How do I pray? With all prayers and requests. Couldn't be easier. You don't have to remember anything except all. It's always, that's, it's the right answer. Let's pray. So we got a couple of minutes. I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to respond. Ministry teams, you guys can come up. Bo, come on back. So I, I, I mentioned the direct assaults, kind of the suffering piece. And so, you know, this is kind of how we deal with that. We, we move past that pretty quickly. But I also want to acknowledge some of you are suffering today and we want to pray for you. We want to pray that in your suffering, God would draw you closer to himself, that he would make you more like Jesus. And we're going to pray 100% that God would fix it, that the suffering would stop. So that's you. If you're, if you're suffering, if you're harassed, if you feel harried, please go ahead and make your way forward and let these guys start praying for you. If you struggle with nightmares, Please come on and go, come forward and let us pray for you. That's one of the ways the enemy harasses us. We need to sleep. And when we're, when we're sleeping, we're, we can't be on our guard. And so some, he just doesn't play fair. If you're struggling with nightmares or maybe one of your kids are, you can come up and we'll pray with you for your kid. That's one of the ways he wears us out. And you get tired and all kinds of bad things happen. And then third, and this is a, this is a strong word, but if, I, just, if, you, if you're in despair, we want to pray for you. If you would just be honest this morning, I don't think that's a ton of people, but I do think there's probably just a small number, maybe in a particular area of your life, you've given up hope. That's what despair is. We want to pray there as well. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you remind every one of us, kids, students, and adults of our position in Jesus, that right now we're seated 
with him in the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. So as we pray, we're not yelling at the ceiling and hoping that somehow billions and billions of miles away you'll hear. We're leaning to our left and whispering. And so would you respond to those whispers this morning, Father? We acknowledge, Jesus, you've already disarmed all of the powers, all of the rulers, all of the authorities, all of these evil spiritual forces. You've already disarmed them. And we want to walk in victory today. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys stand up, come forward and get prayer. And Bo will dismiss us in a minute or two. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week.